Our message today is in Acts chapter 16, so you can be turning there. Don't you just wish the Bible was relevant? (laughs) Don't you just wish that the stuff we read about we could just identify with, we could sympathize with? Don't you just wish that um, these events took place in the same world, in the same universe? But it did. (laughs) I don't know where you're at today or what you're dealing with today. But I wonder if you have shackles. Wonder if there are, they are public shackles wherein the world paints you or your faith as imprisoning. That Christianity, it's a clutch. It's for people who have problems and instead of dealing with them, they make up a higher power that cares about them. Meanwhile, all those who claim to be dealing with their own problems, these are striking stories of success too, right? That Christianity is backwards, it's ancient. They hold on to dated writings and forms of morality that we've just progressed past. If they just let that go and catch up with the rest of us, then we would all get along. Okay, and morality like killing babies from the the womb. And I, and I just read an article that really grind my grinded my gears last week. And since I don't have a therapist or counselor, you're welcome. But in in California, they passed a law that allowed prisoners to identify as whatever gender that they thought they might be on a given day, and then they're given passes to a correctional facility of their identified gender. And lo and behold, now we have pregnant prisoners from gang rapes in a so-called all-female facility because those some of those females are biologically truly male because they never thought themselves to be female. They're just taking advantage of stupid people with dumb ideas in high places. But if we threw out the Bible, maybe one day Christians might, ad- might advance to this amazing morality. I wonder if you have... Private shackles. If only other Christians knew the messes I dealt with. Or maybe if only other Christians knew the temptations I have to, to leave and abandon the faith altogether because it's, it's too hard and I suffer so and, and half the suffering I have is from trying to be who I think God wants me to be. Do you have shackles today? Over in Acts 16, the story is this. Paul and Silas set out on Paul's second missionary journey, and he's gathering more folks on the way. Timothy, the same Timothy he writes to in the Bible. Luke, the same Luke who wrote the gospel in the book we're studying. And then then they just had this weird experience in, in that all the places they wanted to minister to And even though they were theoretically untouched by the gospel, no churches, no preaching of Jesus, but even so, Luke wrote that God himself prohibited them from going to certain areas until it culminates in this vision from a Macedonian man saying to Paul, come this way. And so they all go to Macedonia. They they met a gal in Macedonia at this important city called Philippi. They were at this makeshift Jewish gathering, no synagogue, just a meeting of 
devoted Jewish worshipers at her riverside. Lydia was the gal. She hears the gospel. She believes and she repents. We're told that her household does likewise. And after this, a church is planted. And then we read things really start going downhill. So, I invite you to stand. We'll be in our Bibles in Acts 16, starting with verse 16, reading through verse 29. So if you're able to stand, please do. And for reasons that I'm embarrassed by because of my indecision every few months, I plan on going back to the ESV for good. So I'll just leave that there. ESV, Acts chapter 16, beginning with verse 16. We read, As we were going to the place of prayer, we were met by a slave girl who had a spirit of divination and brought her owners much gain by fortune-telling. She followed Paul and us, crying out, These men are servants of the Most High God who proclaim to you the way of salvation. And this she kept doing for many days. Paul, having become greatly annoyed, turned and said to the Spirit, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And it came out that very hour. But when her owners saw that their hope of gain was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace before the rulers. And when they had brought them to the magistrates, they said, These men are Jews, and they are disturbing our city. They advocate customs that are not lawful for us as Romans to accept or practice. The crowd joined in attacking them, and the magistrates tore uh, their garments off them and gave orders to beat them with rods. And when they had inflicted many blows upon them, they threw them into the prison, ordering the jailer to keep them safely. Having received this order, he put them into the inner prison and fastened their feet in the stocks. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the prisoners were listening to them. And suddenly there was a great earthquake, so that the foundations of the prison were shaken, and immediately all the doors were opened and everyone's boots were unfastened. Bonds. Just just seeing if you guys are following. When the jailer woke and saw that the prison doors were opened, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself, supposing that the prisoners had escaped. But Paul cried out with a loud voice, Do not harm yourself, for we are all here. And the jailer called for lights and rushed in. And, trembling with fear, he fell down before Paul and Silas. Let's pray. Father, we come before your word trusting that you wrote it for our good. You wrote it to, so that we might grow in our own faith. And Father, even though we know Luke is the one who wrote these words, we trust your Holy Spirit inspired him to write these words. We trust these words to be faultless without error, useful for teaching us, rebuking us, correcting us. And so, Father, with all this in mind, we pray that we would have open hearts to respond accordingly to your word. We pray that your voice is the one who is heard and not mine. Father, again, we thank you and we pray this in our Lord and Savior Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Our local paper prints a column called Pastor's Notes. These pastors are all in the ministerial association. And every now and then a minister will write a column. And to be honest, I cringe. (laughs) 
I cringe that there are some things said, something, uh, sometimes some theological doctrines put forward that honestly aren't represented by the entire ministerial association. And uh, obviously the entire Christian body uniformly as well. For the folks who, who do agree with the doctrines put forward, and whenever that article comes out, perhaps whenever we read the article, we think a positive thought, we have a tinge of, of gladness that the entire readership of the progress has access to such an article. But for the time that the articles are, are cringeworthy, we kind of bristle. Sometimes we're saddened. Sometimes we hope, gee, I, I hope that didn't push away some seekers, <laughs> some would-be Christians away from the possibility of, of coming to Christ unnecessarily. Why would Oh, man. And this is just a, a personal and a recent example, but... We also feel that when famous preachers and pastors and celebrity Christians have moral failings or they leave the faith and they talk trash about their experience in the faith, we know the feelings of, well, that may have been that person's experience. That may have been that used to be Christian or or Christian's perspective, but man, I sure wish I could have been there to counteract what they're saying or or teaching to let the people know this isn't necessarily representative of everyone. You ever hear that Christians are narrow-minded, bigoted, prejudiced, homophobic, and so so on? <laughs> Such great, flattering adjectives to use for us, and often spoken by such qualified judges of character as well. The context of the book of Acts tells us that Paul, Luke, Silas, and Timothy, and whoever else may be with them are in Philippi. The group is saved in Philippi, a church is planted, and still in its infancy. And then we read, as we were going to the place of prayer, likely the riverside, maybe at this point Lydia's home, we don't know, we were met by a slave girl who had a spirit of divination and brought her owners much gain, by fortune-telling. Sadly, this was a norm in that day. Slaves, of course, were often in this culture and they were often utilized for profit and pleasure. Nothing new under the sun. It's still happening today. Slavery is actually alive and well in the form of sex trafficking in America as well as around the world. And one might say, well, it's not as prevalent, but I would just say it's not as public. (laughs) And if you have some other translations, you may have noted that this slave girl who had a quote of a a spirit by which she predicted the future, as opposed to a spirit of divination. Both of these renderings are are just attempts to clarify for us dynamically what's happening here, because the literal words are really a spirit of of python (laughs) or a python spirit. And it's referring to a Greek spiritualism. And this uh, python symbolized an oracle at a place called Delphi in central Greece. I use all these names because I intend to test you on this later. Not really. But um, where a priestess represented the god Apollo and predicted the future. And sometimes the, the python terminology is also associated with ventriloquism. And because the priestess would speak involuntarily with the voice of a god. (laughs) Or what they considered to be a god, 
We know it, of course, to be demonic. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 10, 10 uh, 20 and 21 that other nations don't serve gods and their idols. They serve demons. Uh, this is exorcist creepy stuff. And if you're like me, you, you come across this passage, you look through it quickly, you're even saying right now, why are you lingering over this? <laughs> And we're not too emotionally invested because we really can't imagine it. And if we're honest, we might even be a little bit skeptical and dismissive because we don't see this stuff every day, especially if you lived a sheltered life like I have in a rural town, tiny school, a bunch of middle-class nine-to-five workers. And if you're like me, a little skeptical of this, then you and I need to know this. We don't know everything in the world. (laughs) And there are people in the world right now who are are probably sad with actually how familiar this is. (laughs) They're disturbed and pained with how familiar this is. It's not hard for them to believe because it's true. It's a reminder to them it's been going on for far too long. And regardless of the demon inside of her and the state of her life, enslaved both physically and economically, and enslaved spiritually, demonically, she's being used and abused as we're told that she brought her owners much gain by fortune-telling. Romans and Greeks relied, depended on fortune-tellers, leaders, political plans, military movements. Fortune-tellers were their source of wisdom. We have self-help books, phone apps, Google (laughs) for our decision-making the Romans and Greeks, this was, this was job security for her owners. She followed Paul and us crying out, These men are servants of the Most High God who proclaim to you the way of salvation. And she kept doing this for many days, so verse 18 would tell us. Now, think about this. Even though people like her in that culture are just normal, everyday part of their lives, Pay her, hear her fortune telling. She's still crazy. It's still exorcist scary. I mean, imagine a a twitching, jerking, contorted woman speaking in the movie theater voice, trying to share the gospel. (laughs) This is where we say, that's the wrong kind of publicity, (laughs) right, as Christians. Paul and company don't want to be the circus in town (laughs) with the red carpet being laid out by the creepy demonic fortune teller. This would likely repel crowds instead of attract them, which is what they're going for. Like, we don't want to appear to be on her side. This is where, thanks for sharing that article with the weird doctrines, or, gee, thanks, popular pastor, for having that moral failure so we can all bask in the outpouring of criticisms from everyone who hates Christianity. But already this is going to be redeemed. She said, these men are servants of the Most High God. Now, for Romans, that might be Zeus. For Jews, that's Yahweh. But what does Paul do? Verse 18, Paul, having become greatly annoyed, turned and said to the Spirit, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And it came out that very hour. Now, not the best way for it to happen, but in a backhanded way, here is a gospel witness. Because the demon said, these are men of the servants of the Most High God. And Paul added a name to that Most High God in the name of Jesus Christ. And it came out that very hour. Let's not overlook this. 
Paul commanded in the name of Jesus. It's a command that, that Jesus entrusted to his disciples as he still walked the earth. This is as much exciting as Paul casting out demons as it is also verifying Paul's authority as apostle. Some people then, especially if you read the books of the Corinthians, but still some Christians now say, Paul, why make so much of Paul? Jesus met him, commissioned him, and Paul walked in his authority. Well, because Paul exercised this demon, happy day, right? (laughs) They can go back to, to trying to let Philippi know, hey, we're not a loony church with a demonized gal as our herald. That lady, she's free spiritually now. Good stuff, right? Wrong. <laughs> the The time in Philippi is going to get worse. Verse 19. But when her owners saw that their hope of gain was gone, they seized Paul and Silas, dragged them into the marketplace before the rulers. Now, we missed it, and I know this because none of you laughed, but Luke is actually cracking a funny in the original language. Uh, Some comedic relief, I suppose, in telling a story about a demon-possessed lady and Paul and Silas about to be carted off to prison. The only translation I found that kind of captures this wordplay is one I never heard of. It's called the Disciples' Literal New Testament. That's not at all a self-righteous name, is it? It wasn't done by any of the disciples because none of the disciples knew English. I don't know if you knew that. But anyways, verses 18 and 19 renders it for us. And she was doing this for many days. And Paul, having been greatly annoyed and having turned to the Spirit, said, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to depart from her. And it went out at that very hour. And her masters, having seen that their hope of profit went out, having taken hold of Paul and Silas, dragged them into the marketplace before the rulers. Perhaps we should say it this way. Paul would say, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to depart from her. And it departed at that very hour. And her masters, having seen of their hope of profit, departed. They took hold of Paul and Silas. The the funny thing is the repetition three times. It's the same Greek word, departed. And um, for those of us who have a heart, it's nice to see the, the demon depart its victim. But for the greeting, for the greedy slave handlers, their profit departed. That's the little funny And I don't know how many times something good happens and unbelievers are for some reason put off by it. I'll just say it. I really don't get banning therapy and counseling for homosexuals or transgenders who want counseling. I just don't get that. People who have such problems to work through, we all do. That's not bad to admit. But people who have identity problems and sexual problems that perhaps talking to a counselor, which may end in them having so much more peace and relief about their situation, rather than jumping in full throttle to alternative lifestyles. But in some states, I don't know, maybe most states now, it's banned, it's forbidden to even offer counseling to anyone who wants it, or to even remotely suggest or counsel, hey, maybe God made you a man, so you should stay a man because you're a man. I don't get that. A demon is cast out of a woman and all the slave owners see is no more money. <laughs> Let's drag off Paul and Silas. What what do they have to say? How is Paul and Silas going to get reprimanded for doing something righteous, good, and helpful such as setting a woman free spiritually? Verse 20, And when they 
had brought them to the magistrates, they said, these men are Jews. They are disturbing our city. They advocate customs that are not lawful for us as Romans to accept or practice. So let's just be honest. The introduction is very telling. These men are Jews. (laughs) This is why Paul and Silas were, were singled out too. Do you remember that Luke, a Gentile, was likely present? Timothy, who was half Jewish and half Gentile, was likely present, and whoever else. But the leaders, who were also Jews, were dragged off. There was some anti-Semitism in the Greco-Roman world. In fact, assuming that what this taking place is between the 40s and 50s AD, by the mid-60s there are going to be a Jewish revolt in the Roman Empire, and Philippi is a proud Roman colony. Not every uh, city or region in the Roman Empire had the prominence like Philippi. And furthermore, we were told at the beginning of chapter 16 that Philippi didn't even have a synagogue. Now that could be for lack of Jewish people or it could be for lack of Jewish sympathy. So the men here handling Paul and Silas could care less that their slave was freed from demons. In fact, they would have preferred her to stay demonized And they're tapping into anti-Semitism to have Paul and Silas reprimanded for it. And they are disturbing our city. Goes to show you of the thinking of the, the demonized woman robbing people of money isn't disturbing, but seeing her freed from spiritual bondage. Now that's disturbing. Verse 21, they advocate customs that are not lawful for us as Romans to accept or practice. This could be referring to some teachings that Paul and company did that Luke didn't point out. But the basic point is clear. These guys are trying to get Paul and Silas are trouble and they're just lying to do it. Uh, They're just upset that their money-making machine was blundered. It's kind of like abortion advocates who grasp at anything they can to make people who want to see unborn babies live look bad. It's kind of like when a Jewish rabbi who raised people from the dead, fed thousands of crowds, healed people, and spoke of having one's sins forgiven and being made right with God, because those are all horrible, horrible things, were dragged before some rulers and some bogus judgments were inflicted on him. I don't get this sort of wicked justice, where when good people do good things should get put in trouble for it. Nevertheless... The crowd joined in attacking them. We see this all too often that all that needs to happen is a few popular politicians, celebrities, or just some social elites need to make some statements that have some half-truths in them and popular opinion turns on a dime. And the magistrates tore off or tore their garments off them and gave orders to beat them with rods And when they had inflicted many blows upon them, and again, I'm still amazed that this is what's happening to these people. They cast a demon out of Sally. You remember Sally, the one with dark eyes who drooled and had the contorted arm? She looks normal now. (laughs) And here's the reasons. These are the reasons she's whole again. Let's kill them. What? They threw them into prison, ordering the jailer to keep them safely, because you know we care about these people we just beat to a bloody pulp. Verse 24, having received 
this order, he put them into the inner prison and fastened their feet in the stocks. Some of my commentators said that stocks in this day were certainly not comfortable, that the holes might be in weird, awkward positions, so you're sitting there with open legs and nothing to do about it, maybe a leg high, a leg low, nothing to do about it. I want you to zoom out with me, though, and consider this in context. Remember that Paul had a vision of a Macedonian man to come out here. He had so many other places closer that he wanted to witness to. And supernaturally, or at least we're told that he and his companions understood that it was from the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of Jesus, that God kept saying, no, don't go here, no, don't go in there. And finally, again, by vision, come to Macedonia. And they they meet Lydia, they plant a church, but then here we are with who knows how many people riled up, beating them up, throwing into prison. I wonder how Paul feels. Is this... Is this for retaliation for all the things I did to Christians before? <laughs> I wonder how, how all of them feel. We should have stayed in Galatia. We should have stayed in Antioch. Why is this happening? Why are Christians the losers? <laughs> you ever ask that question? Just had a texting conversation with my brother last night, uh, the same brother who, who lost his four-month baby uh, back in 2015 and Living a hard life, he's he's trained to be a pilot, and he was going to, into this medevac. He was going into this job that would be basically a flight medevac. He would fly places. Maybe if somebody went to the Bahamas, got sick, needed to go to a hospital in the U.S., he would go and pick them up and take them to the U.S. That's what he was training for. He texted me yesterday, and he says, I, "I feel like a failure. I came out here to Arizona to do the training, and I failed. They sent me home." And he said, I felt like I've failed in providing for my wife. And and he says, you know, it would have been one thing if I was just doing it half-heartedly, but I put my all in and I, I didn't cut it. And then he went into like, why why does like crack addict Joe Schmuck get a lottery ticket and make millions of money, but here I am working my arse off <laughs> and I can't, you know, and why are Christians the losers I mean, I, I know I didn't live in the 50s. I know that surprises you. I look pretty old, but <laughs> perhaps there was a day when it was cool and socially popular to be a Christian. But for the most part, now we're losers. I've been mentioning a few things today, social issues that are wildly popular and very contrary to the teaching of Christ. So much so when when Christ's views on the matters are presented, they're treated just as unpopular as Paul seems to have been treated here. We read to find that God can still use what's happening here, though. Just as when Jesus was wrongfully accused and, yes, even executed, God saved the world. So Paul and Silas's suffering here will not be in vain. It's not useless. It's not going to be done for no reason at all. Christians, I've said this before, but our suffering is never useless. Our suffering is never purposeless and our suffering is never wasted. Verse 25 says, At about midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. I'm just going to stop right here and ask, how many of you not your plan after a day like this? (laughs) Just be honest. 
January was horrific for Christy and I. Still remember a few hard days when we were just going up to get some scans on Christy. We already knew we had cancer. Just had to get some scans and we were asked as we're checking in, any possibility that you could be pregnant? Because if so, we would advise not doing this scan. Well, yes, possibility. Took a pregnancy test. We confirmed that we were pregnant. Then they tell us, well, even so, we advise the scan. The scan has never had any confirmed cases of harming any babies. It's just a possibility, but your cancer is serious enough that we should scan you. Baby will be fine. That weekend, the baby wasn't fine. It was was not the scan's fault. We just lost the baby, miscarriage. And it was a hard time, to put it lightly. And I remember many, many days, more days than any of us wanted, I'm sure, but you can't plan these things. Many nights, I should say, we were just filled with us crying. We'd put the kids to bed, and then it just hit us, crying. And we'd use words like, I feel raw, feel violated. We'd usually end the crying by praying. And through this ordeal, too, we actually happened to, happened to pick up a CD from a well-known Christian band called Rin Collective, and the CD was called Choose to Worship. And each song was about choosing to worship no matter the circumstances. It was timely. We listened to it a lot, praying and singing with feet in the stalks while suffering with questions. And the prisoners were listening to them. That's why we pray. That's why we worship Not the only reason indeed we pray for what God does in us and we sing for what God does in us and how it reorients our own hearts. But I'm saying people are watching. People want to know when the losers are put to the screws, will their faith hold? What do the faithful do? Then when the day couldn't get any more exciting, right? (laughs) We already had a demon exercise. We had some mob violence. We had some unjust verdicts. We're singing and praying in stocks. And then suddenly, verse 26, there was a great earthquake so that the foundations of the prison were shaken and immediately the doors were opened and everyone's bonds were unfastened, not boots. (laughs) Macedonia was said to have frequent earthquakes, kind of like the California of the area, I guess it's expected. But this is rather supernatural, right? The very prison they're in is shaken to the foundations. And oh, look at that. Every single door is open. Every chain is broken. Peter, earlier in the book of Acts, was supernaturally set free from prison. It's like God wants these people to keep trucking for some reason. Paul and Silas, they could be thinking, is this it? Does God want us to escape here? Is this how it's going to go down? Then, verse 27, when the jailer woke, and I was just laughing because... Every time we read a story where the protagonists are in jail, the jailer has to fall asleep at least one time, right, to build some suspense. But he woke, and he saw the prison doors were open. He drew his sword and was about to kill himself, supposing the prisoners had escaped. In Roman law, you best believe that the jailer was held responsible in every sense of the word. There was no, well, they escaped, it happens. No, the jailer would be paying for their escape with Roman punishment, usually, and usually dying by their own hands would be desirable in this situation, apparently. 
But verse 28, Paul cried out with a loud voice, Do not harm yourself, for we are all here. Interesting that all of them, not one prisoner had left. And I'm thinking that there probably could be some other prisoners in here on this given evening. And I'm a bit of a pessimist, I guess. And I was thinking, really? Nobody left the jail? But also this, we had these two wacko prisoners singing and having a party and then an earthquake happened. Or perhaps the most vilest of people would want to stick around and see how the show ends too. But verse 29 And the jailer called for lights and rushed in, and trembling with fear, he fell down before Paul and Silas. So we see here that it was not God's plan to save Paul and Silas in the earthquake, but it was his plan to save the jailer. We're going to get more into that next week. For now, though, here's my encouragement. Sing it from the shackles. There's actually a song on this CD that Christy and I were listening to. That's the title. Sing it from the shackles. And what I mean by this is trust Jesus while you are in chains. Trust Him. Trust His purposes. Trust Him in your suffering. Trust Him when people let you down. Trust Him when circumstances let you down. Trust Him when the world seems to be taking the side of the greedy, demonized woman enslavers over the people who bring good news and save said woman from the demons. Trust Him when unfair and unjust verdicts are handed down. Trust Him. Because people are watching you. And when the earthquake happens, will they think back to how you acted and wonder, what do they have? Will they be moved to draw in closer or moved to be drawn away? Do you see how God redeemed the situation? Paul was worried that the demonized woman would draw crowds away. But apart from this whole ordeal, how would have the jailer been saved? Do you know that since Christie's been diagnosed, she's had the privilege of sharing her burdens with others? Whether it be people diagnosed or people suffering similarly in the middle of life's earthquake, some have found Christie and Christie has been able to minister. So I invite you today, if you find yourselves in shackles, sing from them. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Father, I sure wish the the Bible was identifiable with. Sure wish it was something that we could relate to. Indeed, we we can, and we have found that um, some things never change. I heard one pastor recently say that it's so funny that Christians look up look op- open up the Book of Acts and say, "Sure wish we were the first century church again." We are. <laughs> Father, your Holy Spirit is still present. Your Holy Spirit still has the authority and the power to do anything he wants to do. And Father, the animosity is still here as well. So help us to take an example from the apostles, from Paul, from Silas. Help us to take that example and to see how we can be Jesus in a dark world. Thank you that... As John says, the light has come into the world and the dark does not comprehend it. That your light wins, that your power wins, 
Father, many people for many different reasons might be having dark days, might be experiencing life's earthquakes. Help us to sing from our own shackles. Help us to, to show them that there is hope in you, that there is a Lord over all lords, that there is a king over all kings. And whether nations live or die, your kingdom never dies. It only grows and expands. And Father, we're grateful to be citizens in that kingdom. So help us to be good ambassadors for you. Father, for anyone who is, who's going through sins, problems, struggles, who do fill these shackles, I pray that you would give them the hope and the peace that comes through praying and singing as you gave hope to Paul and Silas. Father, I pray that you would give them an earthquake moment where they would see the reason for their suffering, that they would know truly that their suffering is not in vain, it's not useless, you have a good purpose in it, that you're going to bear fruit from it. Father, we love you and we thank you and we ask and pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.